should you be when things go wrong? Should you tell your boss you made a huge mistake? Should your company tell everyone they got hacked? This week, we talk with a wireless cybersecurity expert about this really important topic. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me, I think, might be the only thing between me and a little dog, Prasanna Malihandi. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, and I hope the dog wins out. What so, happened? What happened? Know, to... I mean, you 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 have you have a little dog, right? So yes, I I, I technically don't. I, I have I you know I have a grand dog who ha- has been living with us. Uh, you know, my my daughter and her husband live here with their dog um, for a little bit, and. I'm not used to having a dog around. (laughs) So there are things that if you're used to having a dog around, you just don't do. Um, One of those would be if perchance, I don't know, you've got a podcast recording coming up at say, I don't know, one o'clock. And perhaps you realize at say 1240 that you haven't eaten anything and you're gonna starve to death by two. And so you just go heat up some enchiladas and you put them on a plate on your desk inside your office where you close the door. Uh, except for like one minute, you go to get your AirPods because you forgot your AirPods. Just, just theoretically speaking, you go to get your AirPods and you leave the door cracked. Not wide open, but cracked. And you say to yourself as you're walking away, Brew is not going to like open the door go into the office, climb up onto my chair, and then attempt to eat my enchiladas. She wouldn't do that in the one minute that I'm away from my desk. Yeah. So I come back, and my enchiladas are upside down on the floor (laughs) with the plate on top of them, and Brew just sitting there on my chair. like. um, Did she have cheese and everything on her face? Uh, she didn't actually get get to much apparently. Okay. Uh, because the the but maybe, she yeah. So but maybe that should tell you that if she's not going to eat your enchiladas, maybe you shouldn't eat your enchiladas. I'm just saying, <laughs> Curtis. No, I think you know? she just didn't have enough time. She just didn't have enough time. <sighs> so I, I basically, keep trying this to is remember you to like close the doors, you know, at all times. It's just not something I'm used to doing especially since we became empty nesters a little while yeah. ago. Um, so I'm just sort of, everything's open all the time. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so that dog. Well, whose fault is her, it for leaving the chair next to hey, the hey, desk? Hey, don't blame the victim. <laughs> don't blame the victim. <laughs> I'm defending the dog who does not have a voice on this podcast. Your Honor, I present the, the case of... The the Preston household versus Brule. <laughs> uh, I submit the plate on the floor. <laughs> um, I could just see I could just see you know Brew on the stand of like the little the puppy dog I, guy. She's gonna give the see, puppy see, dog guys. What was going through my head was like Snoopy. 
that's what was going through my head. <laughs> it was like Brew being Snoopy being like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yeah, it was totally her. Yeah, she was caught white-handed. Um, so all this means pod. is after the podcast is done, when you go get some lunch, you should just mm. grab her a snack as well. Okay, I'm prohibited from giving her food. I I, I have even her food, things. even her snack food. Well, she has a set snack time. Okay, and it, and this isn't it. So um, gotcha. I I don't want to get in trouble with my daughter. Um, yes. That's probably the way, the way my son-in-law uh, says it. He's like. It's fine, Curtis, if you want her to live, like, three years less. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way he says, you know. Hey, like, so my fine. parents, so growing up, I'm sure our guest is like, what is going on here? So growing up, my parents had a dog, and we had a vet who was Indian. And the vet would always be like, look, I know you guys are Indian. I know you love to feed your dog Indian food. Don't do it. It's unhealthy. My parents fed him everything, like Indian sweets, Indian food. <laughs> like, for his birthday, they would make him special Indian food. He lived till he was 17 and a half. So, so there so you go, right? So, exactly. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not having that <laughs> argument with my daughter. Um, anyway, well, uh, time to bring our guest on. Uh, if he's, is he still, is he still here? He's still here. Uh, he's still he's here. an expert <laughs> in wireless and cybersecurity. And since 1990, has been the CEO of Berkeley Veritronic Systems, a wireless detection manufacturing and production company. He is also the host of the What Keeps You Up at Night podcast, which is how I met him. Welcome to the pod, Scott Schober. Hey, great to be with you. <laughs> so, I, do you I, have I a pet, a, Scott? <laughs> yeah, do I do. And as you guys were talking about <laughs> some of these things, I was thinking of my dog. We have a dog, Daisy. She just turned four years old. Mini Golden Doodle. A lot oh. of fun. High maintenance, but a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, this is this particular dog is a cockapoo, um, oh. and so it it you know she would have had to literally jump up on my chair, and I was you know, I was just thinking she's not going to do that in the little time I have <laughs> in the little time I've gone, not so much. The, the 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 smell of the food was just too, you know, enticing too too enticing. Yeah. Um, if you want to find brew, all you got to do is start cooking something and she will just <laughs> show up. Uh, so I, Scott, I gotta, I gotta say, so it looks like the company that you're at has been around longer than you've been there. Cause you, you were saying that it has 50 years of experience. The company has been around for 50 years, but you've right. been there 30 years. Um, cause normally when I see somebody who's been somewhere for a really long time, it's like a company they started and so, of course, they're there. But in your case, they brought you in after they'd already been going for close to 20 years or something in that neighborhood. Yeah. And the, then the interesting yeah. story is that it's a family business. So it's actually founded by my father, still okay. our CTO. He actually happens to be here today uh, just checking in. But he, he's since retired and uh, he founded the business. So it's really what I grew up with. I did actually start technically working for the company when I was in sixth grade. Uh, he, <laughs> wow. he challenged me. We had a number of. Uh, keypads. These were wired keypads, old school keypads, way, way back in the day. And right. he said, for every keypad that you fix, you'll get a dollar. And he showed me how to solder and, and make measurements on a resistor and diodes and things like that. And I spent the day going through hundreds and hundreds of, of these keypads and realized, wow, I can make a lot of money fixing these things. <laughs> and eventually I kind of got into the business and, and doing everything. So um, it's kind of cool growing up in the family business because I did everything from 
you know, cleaning, cutting a lawn, painting, soldering. Mm -hmm. I went to school formally at, for um, computer software development and telecommunications. I went to, to Kane University for undergraduate stuff and graduate stuff at, at New York University. Um, and it's kind of cool because it gets me to cross different things. You know, you, you talk about it in your daily life as a family, but it's also part of your business. And then also, I, I like to, you know, I'm, I was a gamer growing up. My father worked for a number of years at Atari. So he brought home all the latest and greatest <laughs> games. My brother and I, we were game testers. And we'd stay up to the wee hours of the night, testing games, finding the bugs, documenting them, and then feeding it back to the programmer. So it, it's kind of neat because you're around the culture, growing up in it, it's part of your life. It's part of your DNA. So it's kind of exciting. And that, to me, keeps me going from a standpoint of innovating products and ideas within the company. And I have people here that are actually implementing and doing it that have PhDs and far smarter than I am that can actually make the technology work. So I'm kind of the, the guy that's in between and gets my hands in a little bit of everything. I know enough about everything to be dangerous. So it's kind of a fun <laughs> business and it's niche, very niche cybersecurity and, and hardcore design. We're really hardware designers, which is a little bit different than most companies out there. It seems like everybody does software be it apps or, or high-level programming or whatever. And yeah, we do that too. We do program. But our expertise is really at the core, the, the hardware and understanding radio frequency, uh, be it the wireless. So I always like in our company is where we're at the intersection of wireless and cybersecurity is kind of where we fit, which is kind of cool. Nice. So you shifted then, I'm guessing you talked about keypads early on, right? And so... Mm -hmm. At what point were you like, okay, keypads are great, and now let's shift into this wireless cybersecurity aspect yeah, of things? Good, good question. The shift into the first part of your question, wireless, really happened about mid-1980s. We actually got a call as a company, again, being a hardcore hardware company, design company. People come to us with problems, and we provide solutions, hopefully, that, that solve their problems <laughs> and are affordable. And uh, we were approached by a company down in Washington, D.C., and said, hey, We've got an idea for developing some test equipment, but we don't know how to do it. You guys might know how to. So, okay, we were hired for it, took on the assignment, and we developed actually the first test tools to test out the cell towers. Mm. And this was um, very interesting because nobody knew at the time that wireless cell phones would take off. So we were in the early days of AMPS phones, and we <laughs> developed the actual test receivers and transmitters and worked on some of the propagation analysis software so you could see what the coverage was. And we started work with this company. We worked for them for well over 10 years developing test tools, which really took our business, allowed us to grow. And we're still doing it today. We're still developing test receivers and transmitters that we sell globally, but we're not selling it for the old school e-amps and things like that. It went from second generation, third, fourth. Now we're into the 5G technologies that we always hear about that our smartphones work about. Well. A number of years into that, what I started to notice was business has changed and the way propagation analysis is done, it's more done predictive analysis. In other words, you can use advanced algorithms to actually figure out how well signals propagate at different frequencies. So you don't need to do the hardcore drive studies where you're <laughs> manually driving around collecting this data, spending thousands of hours and so on and so forth. So we, I said, let's shift the business a little bit and focus on the security since we understand smartphones and we know their vulnerabilities, and we work with a lot of the companies, let's analyze that space and see if there's some tools and technology we could develop. We started to do that, and it really took off. 
And and the, and the short of the story is, uh, the more we started doing it, I was brought in to to share some expertise and things we knew how to keep your company safe and so on and so forth. Well, the more I did that, the more I got a target on my back <laughs> and the company's back, and hackers went after us. And then mm -hmm. it started with credit card compromise, debit card compromise, Twitter account compromise, repeated DDoS attacks to our online store so we couldn't do commerce. And finally, we had $65,000 stolen out of our checking account. Oh, Became no. a federal investigation, paperwork, email, so on and so forth. The story goes on and on. In the process, I thought it was kind of interesting because what do you do? Here you are as a wireless cybersecurity company sharing expertise and advice, and you're a victim. And you made mistakes. And ironically, I came, I was doing an interview at the time. It was in New York City, Bloomberg uh, TV. Stopped to get a bite to eat. And I got a phone call mysteriously from Associated Press. Don't know how they got my number or how they heard about it, but they said, we heard from reliable sources your company was hacked and you were the victim of a cyber attack. Would you be willing to go on the record and share this? And I said, yikes. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll be willing to share it. Uh, allowing that I share maybe my misfortunes and my mistakes and hopefully some of the things I've learned so other business owners don't go down the same path that I've done. And they agreed, I agreed. Turned out to be a great story. It, it, it ended up getting me more interviews and more interest and I ended up being um, talked into writing a book. Again, I'm, I'm not a writer. Um, I agreed to it. I said, let me try it and see. Uh, so I did self-publishing. It took me a little more than two years to write it. Uh, it was my first book called Hacked Again because of the, the story of basically being hacked as a, a cybersecurity expert. And uh, it kind of opened my eyes up to things, and it opened the doors up to many other things. I, I probably wouldn't be talking to the two of you right now if those chain of events didn't happen. And then subsequently, I put out a second book, Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business, where it went more mainstream to other businesses. And then finally, another project I had was I, I saw that seniors were being targeted, and it really bothered me, so I wrote a book, Senior Cyber, and, and so on and so forth now thinking about book number four and, and getting that to the wheels of motion for that when I find time. Yeah, that's the, that's the problem with once you, once you get over that, uh, that initial hurdle of writing that first book, uh, you know, I, my first book took me three years to write. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, and, and I, I thought I was, I thought I was going to die. Right. The, what, like the first, the, the first thing I wrote was actually an article for Unix review magazine back in uh, 1990 something. And yeah. I remember being terrified about, you know, the whole, like, I'm going to have a mistake in this article, which for the record I did, I had a mistake. Mm -hmm. I had a misunderstanding of the way Oracle hot backups worked. And, uh, and I published that. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be found. I'm going to, I'm, you know, you know, imposter syndrome, right? And yep. uh, but from that, uh, I basically, get, you know, did the proposal to write my book, and it took about three years to to write it. Um, and then the, you know, the next one that I wrote was much smaller and easier to digest. And you know, and so I had a running joke that like, because the first one was like 700 pages, right? <laughs> The, the next one was like 350 pages. And I said, I, I found out the formula. My next book's going to be 30 pages. Right? <laughs> Short little It's going to take me far less time and sell for around the same price. Uh, but yeah, once, you, once you've got that process down, uh, it's, it's um, so you, you, you don't have to reveal it here, but you have, you have an idea for your next book? 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, it's actually uh, three or four different ideas I have. And, and the, the hardest part is focusing on what do I want to write about. And I'm starting yeah. to write about each one, which is probably not a good way to do it. Um, <laughs> I get distracted. I get, I get, I lose focus. Um, but, but sometimes writing, I think, and, and maybe it's partly me, and maybe it's other people find this, or I'm curious, maybe even you find this curse. It's almost therapeutic. Sometimes you get a lot of stuff up here. As you kind of put pen to paper, I, I've, I've kind of switched over actually doing a speech to text. Somebody showed me that it's much faster. By the time I got to the third book, I was like, wow, six months, bam, knock it out. This is great. Um, and, and you understand also the process. The first book I wrote this much and then trim, 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 lose this chapter, reorganize. And, and you find you wasted a lot of time. If I spend more time up front and I think about it up here and organize kind of, kind of the flow get the thesis and hear the chapters and then I stick to it, I can, I can get through it quickly. And yeah. I think once you commit to it and then you stick with it and I did, I do tend to, to write at weird hours. My family might go to sleep, my kids and the dog at 11 o'clock at night. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to put three hours in and just get this out of my head. And then I'll be thinking about it more. I'm on a plane ride for a couple hours. I'll get this part of it out of the head. And I have a story I want to share here. Now I'm going to go back. See, so you, you tend to do this a little bit. Um, it's a good process, though. I learned a lot, and I did it self-publishing. I'm not sure how you did it, if, if you went that way, but I, I knew zero, and I had to learn it all from scratch. And, mm -hmm. and I, I also did soft cover, hard cover, ebook, um, did the whole uh, Audible as well. So going through all of that, those processes with three books, it kind of scares me to go to book number four. But I know I know all the difficult things that I have to overcome, the objectives, and how to get through it. But, uh, but I agree with you. I, I used to get caught up on, oh, I'm going to spell this wrong or the sentence structure or whatever, because I'm not a writer per se. And right. uh, I think I took one class in college, creative writing. It goes back a long time ago. And when I got to the class, I said to the professor, I said, I don't know how to write. I want to learn how to write. He goes, don't worry. This year we switched to computers and I know nothing about computers. I heard you're a computer <laughs> science major. If you help me and all the girls in the class, computers, you'll get an A in this course and I'll teach you to write. I said, fair deal. And I got an A in the course. Uh, so I, I kind of give him some credit. I learned some bit of writing from him, but I was more of a writer for, you know, an article for Forbes or doing blogs and things like that, all short, short stuff. But it, it does help you, I think, because it, it forces you to do research. It, it forces you to think and not be too quick to put everything down on paper but make, make sure you're doing the fact checking and you understand what you're explaining and you can yep. break it down so the reader can get it. And I think that's an important part of it. So I kind of had to teach myself a lot of those steps and, I, and a, a lot of help from others, honestly. Talking to others, what are the techniques they use? I talked to one gentleman, he wrote 185 books. Wow. And I was like, how did you write 185 books and going strong? And he shared a few tips with me that I applied and I said, wow, this does work and it really helps keep you focused and allows you to progress. And I mean, after that, I actually got asked to do, to, to go to two different book shows, one at Jacob Javits Center, I think one in Chicago, and explain the process of not knowing how to write to being a self-published author <laughs> and, and some different things that you can do in the process to make it easier. And, and to me, it's been a wonderful blessing that, that I've been able to do it and learn from so many great people and, and be on great shows like this and, and share different stories. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You, you and I are going to have to have a longer conversation about that because it sounds like we could swap some stories, 
By the way, just real quick, I will say I'm a huge fan of voice to text. So I use Dragon. Uh, my last mm-hmm. three books have been written entirely in voice. Um, basically, my my key is that I, I'm a storyteller, and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, and what's funny is people like Persona who know me personally, and then they're uh, they're a they're a text they're a a technical editor for me. They tell me that when they read it, they hear it in my voice. I hear Curtis's <laughs> voice. You know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> I hear it <laughs> because yeah. because that's the way I write. I write the way I talk. Um, I, I agree that's, that's with you. You, you need to spend yeah. more time up front. Um, in fact, yeah. the last book, not on purpose, but the last book, it took me 10 years to agree on what I was going to write on. <laughs> yeah. And then three months, I think, to, to write it. Um, but yeah, it took it, it, I just I just kept it was one of those, you know, you know what or get off the pot finally. Um, yes. yeah. and, uh, was able to get it. And I, I am, I am working on book four as well, yeah. but, no, uh, anyway, great. enough about what's that. The, the, I was just going to share one thing. Cause you, you hit the nail on the head on one thing just to expound on people always ask me, what do you need to do to write a book? And people think time and money and that, all that stuff. I always say that the most important ingredient I feel is being a good storyteller. And mm-hmm. I think if you could be a good storyteller, you can learn how to write, you can learn how to spell check and edit, and you can get help with the graphics and the cover and the distribution, all the other things you can get help with. But if you can't tell a good story, nobody wants to read your book. And, and you don't write a book to make a lot of money or to retire as a millionaire. Anybody that thinks those type of things shouldn't be <laughs> writing a book. If you have a story yeah. up here that you can get in the book, you, you got it. That's success right there, I feel. Absolutely. So I'm not a published author like both of you, um, but I, just sort of going back to your first book, right, Scott, it's, and, or the situation you were talking about when you got hit with cy- uh, by a cyber attack, it's it come up on the podcast a lot of times where many organizations get hit by criminals, right, and have these cyber incidences, but they don't say anything. Right. And that's just such a huge disservice to the public and other people who want to learn about, okay, how do I protect myself? I'm glad to hear that your first book was like, hey, here's what I could do to sort of prevent and help other companies prevent these from happening to them. Have you seen that that still continues to be beneficial or that more people are opening up? Or is it sort of one of those closely guarded secrets? I don't want to air my dirty laundry. I, I see a mix. A lot, a lot of the close colleagues that I think I, I've gotten to know <clears throat> over the years have shared their horror stories, their, their mistakes, their misfortunes, and that, that granted them a level of success. I, I think of um, some of the things that happened to Brian Krebs, a, a former Washington Post reporter, and now he focuses on, on cybercrime and reporting that. He's got some incredible stories how he was and continued to be targeted and how it had to change his life. And I, I, I could certainly relate to that. I could feel that way. Talking to Kevin Mitnick, getting closer to him and interviewing him and talking to him. He's had some cool background stuff and, and he, he, he has a, a flair for, for magic and, <laughs> and hacking and phone freaking and all these other type of things. And I can relate to a lot of that. But hearing again, he was targeted. And constantly people go after him. And I think that's a common theme that I'm seeing. And most of these people that I, I deal with, these other, um, I guess, cybersecurity people, 
they end up writing books and sharing their story and sharing their misfortunes and problems that they have. And I think in some ways, maybe that's how we help ourselves and, and, and learn from our own mistakes by feeling like, you know, if I share some of the, the stupid things I did, <laughs> other people won't make these same mistakes yeah. and they'll be better than me. And I think that's important. It's it, part of it's, I feel like it's teaching and sharing knowledge. And I often learn from people, not just the things they tell you, hey, you know, create a long password, but you also learn when, when you hear somebody, well, I created a weak password and I used it on 20 accounts and now look what happened. And it, it really mm. puts up in your head, geez, I'm never going to do that. That was really stupid, but at the <laughs> teaching moment. And I think that's, that's one right. thing that I, I've had the gift to be the ability to try to share these things. And I think writing a book leads to so many more things. And that's what most people don't realize. It leads to a podcast show. So I do two podcast shows. It leads to TV and radio interviews, uh, uh, public speaking. I enjoy that. I get to travel and speak to audiences, and I'm hired to go in and, and speak about different topics and things. So sometimes don't look at just the book or the story. Look at the big picture, how it helps you grow as a person, helps your business grow, helps other people learn and, and make practical application of some of the things that you've done. So to me, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if it, it, it's a little extreme saying this, but it kind of changed my life, honestly. It changed well, I mean, and the, the, same, the daily routine, you know? Yeah, the same, the same is, it, it, it's exactly the same, hap ah, English. Um, <laughs> exactly the same thing happened to me, Scott, right? So my career was absolutely launched by a failed restore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was at a, at a $35 billion bank and we lost our purchasing database and I didn't have a backup of it because I, because I didn't understand what it was I was backing up and I didn't understand what I needed to do, et cetera. Uh, you know, we, at the time we blamed it on, um, training because I was relatively new in the job, but the reality was, is I was using an untested backup. And, um, the, the, and, and so I learned, you know, an incredibly valuable thing. And, and in my very first book, which was published in, in Christmas of 99, right. It was, it was my Y2K present. Um, it was, it was, uh, basically like page two or three of the book, there's a sidebar and it says the one that got away. And it's basically about this restore that absolutely failed. And the only reason that you know, the company didn't lose its entire purchasing database was a guy by the name of Joe Fitzpatrick that went in and did some magic stuff on the hard drive. To this day, I don't know what he did. And honestly, he doesn't even remember the event. So he doesn't know what he did. But he did some stuff and brought it back. So at least it, it was it was a near disaster and wasn't a complete disaster. But I think that is a real lesson for all of us that when you screw up, well, let's say two things. If you're, if you, if you have people that work for you, um, let them screw up, right? Like if they, if they, if they screw up, they own up to their mistakes and they can, um, you know, learn what, what can they and you and others learn from what happened and they share mm -hmm. that and they become a better person and a better, better employee, a better colleague as a result, then encouraging your, your employee through that. You know, I go back to my boss, Susan Davidson, who did not fire me. Um, you know, I, 
uh, <laughs> to this day. If she had fired me, I might have had a very different career. But she, she stood by her employee who had made an honest mistake that just happened to have grave consequences. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't, well, it's just my opinion. You don't fire somebody because something horrible happened. You fire them because, uh, you know, it's about like, to me, it's about attitude. And, you know, did, was it that you just didn't care or did you make a mistake, right? Um, did you willfully do something wrong? Um, and then the other thing is for those people that are the, the ones making the mistake, um, please, for the love of everything, don't try to hide the mistake. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I can think back to I was uh, on site at a very large, I think the general way to say it is a data warehouse company is one of these companies that other companies use um, for loyalty, like, um, you know, frequent flyer programs at like your grocery store. And um, I worked with a guy who this was um, it was a Sun E10K persona. You remember the, you remember those? And it was uh, think of it as like a virtual machine thing. And he took a backup of the of the test system and restored it onto the production system accidentally. And it was Oops. it was a true accident. OK, Um but what got him fired was that he tried to cover it up, right? <laughs> and like, so so don't do that, right? Don't don't try to cover up your mistake. Uh, cover, you know, it's not it's it's never the thing you do. It's always the cover up that gets you that gets you fired, right? Um, so so share, please share. This is, you know, we the the episode that we just published this week was about that. He. he it was a you know another cybersecurity guy, and what he was upset was that that he believed that the LA Unified School District was literally told that they weren't allowed to share, uh, what, you know how and why they got hacked, and so I, I think the more of us that do this, uh, the better it is for everything. And I apologize, I, I think I stepped up on the soapbox for twenty minutes there, but Scott, what you know, what would you no, say? I, I agree. I think if we can really be transparent and share, I mean, we're all imperfect. I think a lot of people in the industry, I'll just say it in a general statement, do have tend to have big egos of themselves and they make no mistakes. And I think if they share their misfortunes and mistakes they've made, it shows their true self and, and it becomes a learning moment. I always tell my kids, this is a life lesson. I always stop them during different things and say, remember this, because throughout your life, you're going to remember this moment. And, and it's those type of things, I think, when companies make big mistakes, it's how you handle them. Um, and I look back at even a lot of the breaches, one of the first ones that stands out in my mind, I'll never forget because um, I remember sitting there on TV, it was the target breach. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, oh man, I can't believe those poor people. And my wife looks over at me and she says, you know, we have a target card. I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and that night I got six different phone calls for interviews for the next day on the target breach. And I was just running the entire day going from studio to studio to weigh in on it. So I'm doing research, staying up all night. And I went the, the whole rounds doing CNN and, and, and Fox and Bloomberg and ABC and so on and so forth. And just sharing what happened and what I learned and how could this have happened and stuff. But that moment really got me excited when you when you hear about something that is 
such a big data breach and how many lives it affected and most importantly, how is it handled? How do you disseminate what happened to, to this many customers? When it's millions of customers that are so loyal to your brand, what happens to the brand? What happens to the shareholders? What happens to the customers? What happens to the, the security side? Who dropped the ball? How did this happen? All those questions go through my mind. And to me, that's kind of exciting. So that it kind of backed me into this part of the industry, doing the research when things happen makes you wonder. And when you hear the stories, like you were telling a great story about the mistakes of not having backed up data at the bank you were working at. And, and as I hear that, it helps me appreciate if I want to go to an expert about backups, I'm going to talk to Curtis before anyone else because he's lived through it. He understands it. He gets it. And I think that's what's kind of cool about this industry. If you really dive into it, yeah, it's about technology and this and that, but ultimately it's about people and the mistakes that people make and how you could protect yourself from bad people. And if you do, do that well, then you can make a great career and you can also make a difference. And I think that's, that's an important thing. I look at people that are doctors and I, I see the amazing things they do. I faint at the sight of blood. I'm not the guy for that job, but I appreciate what they can do. Or a nurse, how they can be patient and put up with so many things and help people and make them feel good. That's important. Um, hopefully, what we're doing in the world of cyber is making a difference in helping people. Whether or not they appreciate it or not, I, I don't know fully, but I think some people do. Um, I, I was laughing. I was at our RSA show recently. I had somebody that I never met. I happened to be speaking at the same show. I later found out with this individual, and he came up to me, and he says, Are you Scott Schober? And I said, Yeah, I, I want to shake your hand. And he said, I said, Okay, what's your name, and how do I know you? He goes, Oh, you don't know me. He goes, But I bought your book. And I read your book 20 times. I said, that's more times than I read it. That's pretty amazing. He said, but I learned things. He started sharing all the things he learned. He was a very excited individual. It was great. But I made a connection. And it helped him solve a few problems that he had in his company. But more importantly, we made a connection. And we became friends. And that's kind of cool. When you're in this industry, there's a lot of great people that you're surrounded by. A lot of people that are a lot smarter than me, I'm learning from them. Hopefully, a little bit of the stuff I've learned I could share with them too. And, and, it, and it just makes for a great community. As you're talking, Scott, through sort of like backup, right, as being one place that you might like go talk to someone. I think when it comes to cybersecurity at many companies, it gets very difficult because it's not always like mm -hmm. one person you can talk to, right? You might have the backup guy, you might have the security guy, you might have the applications guy, the database guy, the virtual machine admin, right? And there's so many people involved in order to keep an organization secure, right? And I think making sure everyone is coordinated is a difficult task, right? Everyone has their own priorities, their own mandates coming from above. Sometimes they're not even in the same organization, right? And I think that's another aspect that makes cybersecurity so interesting. It's not like you could say, okay, everyone do this one thing, right? It's that coordination, that team building, right? It's like mm -hmm. everyone needs to be a well-oiled machine for the security of the organization to be functional even. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a brilliant point. And I always talk about cybersecurity. I've been brought into companies to educate. And I say, you know what? This spans the entire employee spectrum from janitor to CEO. People are looking at me, no, no. <laughs> We're talking about the IT team. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm talking about the janitor, the mm -hmm. CEO. Everybody has a responsibility. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert in cybersecurity, 
But when you get onto a computer, you have to use some basic common sense and have some cyber awareness. So you don't just quickly click on things <laughs> and you know write a sticky note with your passwords and all, all the silly things that we always hear about. But people do it every day. And that's the part that I kind of back up from and I look at and I'm saying, how could these companies, and, and, and I've been to many large companies and some of the largest organizations, and I see sticky notes with their password. I see the, the passcode on their credit card machine to issue a refund. And I'm sitting there going, I hide this, that code with my life so nobody could ever steal money. And yet they have it out there broad daylight. So these things still happen. And something, uh, some of the basic techniques and things that I've learned and I try to share in the books and when I talk are things that people just don't think about. But when you share it with them, they go, oh, I didn't think about that. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I'll give you a typical example. I always think about security challenge questions, right? Well, mm. Curtis, what high school did you attend? That might be one of your, your answers, might be blah, 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 high school. And I always say, don't answer it honestly. There, you get a pass, you can answer it dishonestly and use a unique password there. And it could be password one, two, three is actually a hundred times more secure than putting the actual high school that you have. Because anybody can go on Google and search and see what high school that Curtis attended. But nobody's gonna put in password one, two, three there. <laughs> so like even the most basic common sense, almost stupid things that you could do, help people back up and say, oh yeah, wait a minute. I don't have to be honest. I can just create a single password that only I know in my head that I'll remember forever and use it there. Problem solved. Wow, that's great. Sounds too good yeah, to be true, uh, but it worked. I did those things. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when you were when you were talking earlier, um, you know, I was you know thinking about that we that we should value, we should value people who've um, had bad things happen to them, right? That that, that perhaps because you know as we're talking, I, I never know the way a particular podcast is going to go. I, I think this is this is the purpose of this particular episode is to get is to encourage people to share, and uh, you know I think that we. We um, uh, we value a little bit too much, you know, our little pride and our little whatever. And we think that, that sharing is going to get us in trouble. Uh, and I will say that if sharing a, a mistake gets you fired, uh, maybe you didn't need to be working at that company anyway. That's, That's one idea. But sure. but I was I found myself and this is going to sound really weird, no matter how many times I explain it. But I found myself thinking about Platoon, the movie. Um, and so my question is. Who do you want to be in battle with? Do you want to be in battle with Willem Dafoe, this like battle hardened guy, although he turns out to be a bad guy, I think, in the later part. So we'll set that aside. But the battle hardened guy who's been shot at 4,000 times or the brand new officer just out of college, right? The officer's, you know, super smart, super educated. He's been trained on all the ways that battle works, but he's never been shot at. Right. Um, we use the term. He's never he's he's never fired in anger. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I think that the person who has been around a while um, and has has made mistakes, because honestly, if you're not if you're not making any mistakes, you're probably not you're not innovating uh, with definitely. I would say you're not innovating. And oh, yeah. um and if you're if you say you've never missed if you say you've you're never lying. made a mistake, you're yeah. So I, I like I really like that idea that you um, 
you know, that you, that you were saying that let's go to the person for advice who's actually been through things. I like that a lot. Can you think of any other ways that we can encourage those who uh, both the company, right? So we're multiple levels here. We want to encourage the company to understand that sharing. Well, let, actually, I have a thought. I'm going to answer my own question. Sure. In, so I'm, I, my brain's just going a million miles because I really <laughs> like this discussion point. And that is that we live in a world where we're almost, we, we become immune <clears throat> to the daily hacks that we see on the news. <clears throat> right. We see them all the time. We're like, Oh, we got, you know, yeah. The, 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 you know, the cyber of the day. Right. Um, and so we, we don't, we don't think too much about it. Um, and so I think too many times the companies, they just try to, you know, like you went back when you talked about your thing, you know, maybe they try to stay under the radar and they don't want to get that. They do not want to get that call from the AP. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm thinking that, um, when I know when we persona, you and I, when we've evaluated sort of incidents, the thing that we value is how the company responds, how open they are about how soon they announced it, how open they were about what happened. The fact that right now, like it just happened it just happened two hours ago. We don't know squat, right? All we know is that something happens here's a URL, follow this URL. This is my particular favorite way. Here's a URL, you know, go to curtispreston.com slash hack 2023, right? And, and just that follow that. That website does not work for our that. listeners. What's that? <laughs> that website say? does not work for our listeners on this, <laughs> the, the, listening to the podcast. That website, they'll <laughs> yeah. find out. Exactly. Um, that, was a, that was the equivalent of a 555 phone number in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just follow that and just, you know, get, like it's, it's one nice way of saying, leave us alone while we <laughs> just go over there and don't, don't call us 8,000 times. Everything we know we will put there and then do that, right? Follow up, uh, you know, uh, along that, uh, the, the more you can share about what happened, when it happened, how it happened, what lessons you learned as a result uh, I think it's better. I think it's better both for everybody, obviously, but also for you. I'm, I'm basically applying your um, your statement about that you want to go to the battle hardened person, and I'm applying this to a company. But that but, it's yeah, also yeah. But, good but, for the company. What what happened? Are you doing a butt 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 persona? Yes, I am doing a butt butt butt. I think though I agree with everything you say, Curtis. But then I also look at the flip side, which is. We're a very uh, lawsuit-happy country, mm -hmm. and I think corporations worry about how much information they can publish. I agree that they need some amount of transparency and creating the website and putting the links that people can go follow. I 100% agree with it. I think there's that risk balance that corporations struggle with because like Scott had mentioned, right? You do take a hit from a brand perspective, right? You might open yourself up to lawsuits, right? Or regulatory scrutiny or other aspects that once it's out there, it becomes hard to undo. I think the other thing to also mention is there's also the public perception, right? Because when you publish something on a website, right? They assume, oh, this is 100% the truth. 
versus when you're, I'm sure, Scott, you could talk about this as well, right? When you're doing a cyber investigation, right? You don't mm-hmm. always know like what it is really until you're sort of done, right? Yeah. Yes, you might have know some aspects along the way, but you may not be 100% confident the entire time because you're working off of partial information. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, um, I'll, I'll finish my comment that was so rudely interrupted <laughs> by persona. <laughs> so I agree. I agree with what you're saying, persona, which is why any uh, incident response plan has legal as part of the response plan, right? I'm not giving legal advice here. I'm just giving sort of my opinion that the more you can share confidently, I think you're better off as a company. Yes, I understand the the legal thing, but I also know that undersharing can also be a legal, um, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. liability. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I I never actually came up with a question there, Scott. But feel free I'll, to follow I'll on. The, I'll answer the question, even though it was two more questions. No, or two more statements. Let me give you maybe a, a case scenario that's in my mind. Think about Uber a couple of years ago got uh, breached. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting how they handled it. The president at the time, uh, they kind of covered it up. They kind of muddied the waters a little bit. Um, at one point, they paid, I guess it was a ransom, but covered it as a bug bounty. Dishonest, uh, misleading to shareholders, so on and so forth. I think they got their, their hands slapped a few times. Their brand got hurt. Um, they were struggling making money. I think they still are to some extent. So they kind of bumped along through different leadership and making mistake after mistake after mistake and were breached many times. And again, to the point, they weren't really transparent about everything going on. They kind of did this and don't get anybody upset because the money's coming in the front door and we need more investors and so on and so forth. Um, contrast that with JP Morgan. Uh, they had a major breach. Now you're talking about, at the time, the largest financial institution headed by Jamie Dimon. Um, they were transparent. Hey, it, it was a third-party access, didn't have multi-factor authentication in place. We didn't do this, this, and this. We made the mistakes. We're sorry. Here's what we're going to do about it. Oh, by the way, going forward, we're going to commit a half a billion dollars to improve our security so these things don't happen again. Which brand survived? Yes. I think I think you could look at and say, "Wow, you know what? J.P. Morgan Chase, their brand really thrived and continues to thrive. Uber is still kind of a struggling rideshare company, even though it's everywhere. You don't believe everything you hear. You talk to the the drivers, and they're a little bit bitter. You talk to the shareholders, they're bitter. You talk to the employees, they're bitter. So." I think a lot of it has to do with how you run an organization. And when you deal with a cyber incident, to your point, how do you respond? It's got to be a company-wide, and it's got to come, in a sense, from the top down as far as, hey, guys, we screwed up. Let's own it. Let's inform everyone. Let's take care of it so it doesn't happen again. And let's, let's follow through this with our whole team and our employees and our shareholders and our customers. So... I think that's kind of important, being honesty, honest and having integrity when there's a cyber situation really makes a difference in the long run. At the moment, you probably look like an idiot in front of most people. But in the long run, in hindsight, I think you look back and you say, you know what? I'm glad I came clean. I have a clean conscience. I did it right. And it's not going to happen again. And that's, that's probably one of the most important lessons I've learned is I'm paranoid. 
I'm paranoid to the stuff that you have expertise backing up data. I'm always going around. We got to get a backup of this. And they're like, Scott, you backed this up last week. I know, but just in case we changed the code, we updated the system. Let's back it up. I'll, I'll put it in the safe on a remote site. And but, but you start to think like a cyber thief would. You see the value in something and how easy it is to get it. Because I've learned one thing. Nothing's 100% secure. And if somebody wants something bad enough, they're going to find a way to get it. So you just have to do everything you can to make it difficult for them so they move on to the next target that's going to be much easier. That's all it's about. It's a, it's a cat and mouse game or a whack the mole game or whatever you want to call it. But that, that's oversimplifying it, I know. But I, I think that's important to, to just kind of think about those things. If you're running a company or part of an organization, you have to weave cybersecurity into the fabric of your organization so that you don't just do it once a year and do a quick phishing test, pass, we move on, let's get back to business, guys. That doesn't work. I like that. I think going back to Uber, I think recently their CISO had some uh, legal case proceedings against him and I think was found. Because, yeah. because of that incident, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I avoid the legal side of things, but you're, you're absolutely right because the implications of getting caught and misleading shareholders and the public and covering it up or doing the bait and switch, it's not good for business in the long run yeah. when you get caught. And I think that was the yeah. mistake. At the moment, it seemed like, yay, this is a win. Now we don't have to go through the pain of everybody else. But it caught up with them, unfortunately. And sometimes people make, say, a little white lie and they get away with it and then it leads to more things bigger, that they bigger. get implicated on and, and legal mess and the cost for legal things these days in this society is just astronomical and it distracts you again from the core so sometimes the legal matter outweighs the actual cyber incident <laughs> and that's yeah. often how cybersecurity oh, yeah. works i found interestingly right. enough they if they can settle it quickly and sometimes that's what a lot of these ransomware pay, payments are about uh, cybersecurity uh, insurance and the legal team get there and they look at it and say, you know what, pay this many bitcoins quickly, make this problem go away so we don't have to pay this yeah, much okay. over the next six months. Yeah. So. yeah. And Prasanna, I, I think um, going back to what you said, the, so somewhere on the, on the, on the, the, uh, the pendulum of don't say anything and make up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah. Somewhere in there is where we're. I I, I think I'm. You know I'm. I'm I, I, wow. I don't know if I like that pendulum I just created because I I want to be closer to the making up stuff. Meaning I I I, I don't want to not Sharing say too anything. Much. Yeah. I don't don't know, maybe maybe we need to be right in the middle. Right. We don't want to not say anything, and we we definitely don't want to make up stuff. We can all agree, and that's why Prasanna, there, there, there was a part in your answer where you talked about that sometimes you just don't know. Well, if you don't know, don't say, right? You you will get in the in the heat of the of the event. You will get yeah. pressure. What happened? Mm -hmm. If you don't know what happened, you can say we still don't know what happened. Um, yeah. I, I guess in, in please, perfectly acceptable please, answer. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, perfectly yeah. acceptable answer. I don't know yet. We are, you know, we are investigating, mm -hmm. and we will investigate until we find out the root cause. Um, yeah, I, I think that's human yeah. nature too. You, as a human, another person, it's okay to hear something, even if it's a little bit disappointing. I think about it directly. With we're, we're late on a lot of our deliveries to our customers. Here I am uh, going on the on the record. I'm <laughs> apologizing here 
please forgive us. But I think communicating that with a customer is imperative. Hey, we're late on delivery. We told you it would take this long. We were wrong. There are reasons, and we don't want to stand here and reiterate all the reasons, but here's a couple of the reasons why. We're sorry, but here's what we're going to do about it whether it's you give them right. something or free shipping or whatever, or, or more importantly, when we do have the date it will ship, I will get back to you. I will send you the tracking number. And the most important thing is the follow through on it. And it's funny, somebody that hates you or is very upset with you because they're frustrated, they can't do their job. And when you give them the tracking number and the follow through, they thank you. Mm -hmm. They say, wow, you got back to me. You must care about me as a customer. <laughs> thank you. And to me, I've learned that's really important doesn't matter what role you are in the company. And I'll often get that. Sometimes I'll even get a, a thing. Aren't you the CEO of the company? Why are you saying sorry to me that you guys were late? It's probably not your fault. I said, no, it's all of our fault. It's a, the company's fault. So I am sorry. The company is sorry. And just being able to express that, I think, helps them see you're real, you're honest, you're transparent, and you want what's best for them, no matter what it is. And I think that's important to develop relationships, business relationships. Yeah, I like that. And by the way, I uh, it, the word legal came up. I th I forgot to throw disclaimer. out our usual disclaimer uh, that um, that uh, th this is an independent podcast, and you're hearing uh, opinions of people and not companies. And uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, I'd I'd love to hear from you. WCurtisPreston at Gmail or at WCPreston on Twitter or LinkedIn.com/in/mrbackup. Uh, and, you know, we'll get you, you know, we love to hear from people. Mm. And um, so, and, and also please rate us, uh, go to your favorite podcatcher and give us all the stars and send us comments. We'd love to see comments as well. Uh, Scott, I, I want to thank you for, for coming on. Uh, it's been a great, like I said, I never know exactly where a given recording is going to go, but I really like the, you know, are encouraging people to share and, and how to share. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you guys for taking the time and having me on as a guest. I, I was uh, approached by somebody before coming on and they said, you're going on a podcast and said, what's it about? I said, well, he's Mr. Backup, this and that. Well, what are you going to talk about? I said, I have no idea, but probably something related to cybersecurity. And if so, it'll be fun. And then I said, that's all I need to know. That was a great, great conversation. That's what's important. Thank you guys. Absolutely. And Prasanna, you know, thanks for interrupting me. You, that was, it's a, that okay. was a good With point. That was a good point you made. It, it, it's okay though, Curtis. In post processing, you can just cut it all out, and then you can just continue the conversation. You'll be fine. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I might cut it to make it look like you really stomped on my on what I was saying. <laughs> you know the 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 ultimate power. It was nice of the chatting. Editor. Exactly. Yes. It was nice to chat with you, Scott. Thanks for sharing. Your... Thank you, guys. Stay safe, everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks to our listeners, and remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. <laughs>